today. Um, today, though, before I, I talk, I'm going to have um, Brian Scott, our house right there. I'm also going to have uh, James uh, Luker. Uh, to, uh, I would ask that you would come up. Uh, James is our uh, newest member here at Living Hope, so I would love if you would give him a round of applause. I want to thank you, uh, James. Uh, just there at the bow, and uh, I like it. So uh, he's been a part. He's done uh, the class and uh, been a part of it. We believe membership, being part of the family, God is huge, so that we can continue to help hold each other accountable, also come alongside each other, and know how to help uh, in all situations. So once again, thank you so much. Give it up once again. At this time, I'm going to have Brian uh, come up, and um, hopefully find the mic that works. And then, uh, yep. And then uh, I'm just going to have you share a little bit from. Camp last. I know where to start. Um, other than the song and the video, if you caught the bridge, and if you don't, if you don't think about the words, you may misunderstand um, what's going on there. But in the bridge, it says, "How lost another one." And last week, "How lost of you." And what that means is, is somebody made a decision for Christ, and that's not going to, and hell's not going to be their eternal place. So that was the good part. Leading into camp. Um, after last year, a lot of fear and anxiety with myself, with a lot of staff. With uh, we had like 70 kids that were there this year that were all there last year, and last year ended short in a tragedy. And um, Thursday before camp was really rough. Um, I had some text conversations with Doug. I had a really good friend. Is this one of those? I just didn't want to do anything. I wanted to put all the kids in the cabin and just stay there. And um, I'd sent a prayer request out to all the staff, um, plus some others, and I knew there was hundreds throughout the region that were praying for a good week at camp. Um, Central region was there in June and had a great week at camp with older kids. And almost within an hour after getting sent on email, having lunch, having a text conversation with Doug, it just like melted away. It just was just gone. And we could feel a veil over the end of the week. That there was this there was, there was a heaviness, but yet there was we just feel a veil to feel a camp. And we knew we knew people were praying. Um, had a good friend text me Tuesday night. He says, "I hope first, I hope it comes off to a great start." I said, "It is off to a great start. It is off to a great start. It was off to a great start last year. It's not too much." And there's just a heaviness of, of that day. And we get to Wednesday, which was the day of the week that they had our accident. Um, it ended up raining, and we had an idea in our cabins from the doctors, um, which we look back like maybe that's where God wanted us. We didn't want us to waterfront that day, and it rained, and it couldn't be in waterfront. So, great week at camp. Great week. Um, just great. It was probably one of the easiest weeks we've had in a really long time. We didn't put on that many band-aids. Um, so, so it was just easy. Even easy enough as you can see in the video. Time to take a nap about every day. So, uh, which my theory is, if I if I don't have time to do that during the week, then I did something wrong. Then enough to camp. Um, that if you're right, you should have you should have downtime. So uh, I can't express enough. And I told my mom yesterday, I said, you know, there's one thing about the spiritual battle that's taking place during camps, and every year's a spiritual battle. And last year when we left, I said, I said, well, Satan won this battle. He's not going to win the war. And um, and there are kids who got coming out last year that accident deepened their faith. Um, there's been probably a couple dozen kids get baptized coming out of that accident. Um, so after all those all those good spiritual battles they won, but I also like to watch all the other battles they get won. The camper who doesn't want to be there but wants to go home and they stick out for the week because mom says I'm not coming. Um, and watching them, you know, each day is a little better. And watching them working through the roughness, watching parents and kids work through being apart, they've not been apart. And just watching all those little battles get won too is just is just a huge um, uh, encouragement to watch watch that happen. So I have people telling me, my youngest kid's five. You got to stay. We want you there until that kid's through. That's like seven years. I said I'll commit to one. It's been thirty or thirty years that I've been involved um, as a family. Our kids have grown up there. Uh, it's different now. The kids aren't there all the time. Um, but it's just it's a huge. Victory, 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 watching come together, watching 70 plus adults who are from this year, 10 different churches, come together and work hard alongside each other. And that's why I told the lady on Friday, I know these guys are people like you. It's the good people that 
continue to volunteer and watch campers come back, be assistant counselors, watch them come back to their parents and be their assistant counselor. It's just that, just that, that, uh, that replication that's exciting. So we had a great week. Appreciate everybody's prayers and uh, prayers and uh, see what next year brings. Awesome. Well, I don't want you to go yet because uh, last week we were here and we gathered around and prayed for it. I think something that uh, we need to continue to, uh, to uh, focus on is praise. We need to praise God. Praise God for the blessings that he's given us this week. Praise God for the pictures that we saw. Praise God for, like we talked about there, that people have experienced Christ. And maybe they've grown in different ways. Like, I can be away from my mom for more than a day. I can do this or whatever. But the main thing is the spiritual battle. So let's praise God together. And uh, will you just uh, close your eyes and let's pray. Thank you, Father. I just praise your name. And I thank you for what has happened in this past week. And um, what is amazing is through those hard times, that Thursday that was rough, thank you for showing up. Thank you for uh, having people like a Doug and other people around that could continue to gather and pray. And go to you as a source. Go to you to, to take things. And I thank you for showing up and consistently being who you are. And I thank you for all that has happened through this past week. And what is great is it's not done. It's still working in kids' lives. It's still working in adults' lives. And may those kids that walk home with you and their hearts, may they spread it like wildfire, like wildfire in their community, in their home. And may your glory, may your name always get the praise. Thank you once again. And thank you for Brian and Robin's heart to continue to be obedient to your calling, not theirs. We love and praise you. We just never pray men. Amen. Um, Two things, uh, as I was, uh, well, three things, uh, three things as I was there, I came up on Wednesday. Uh, one of my favorite things is, uh, as I was walking down, I walked around just going to pray around the whole camp. One of the uh, little kids uh, was going up to the water slide, he's I'm going to destroy this water slide. I was like, that kid needs less sugar. Then the next one came uh, by, and it was a, a taller kid, and he looked at me and he goes, you look just like my dad. He had blonde hair, like nothing like the same. I go, I guess your dad looks really cool. He's like, he is. And like, I was like, these are awkward conversations. It's pulling me all back to my high school days. Um, and the third one is, uh, he was not lying. It poured on Wednesday. It was not just a light rain. It was pouring. Uh, but I'm glad everything went, uh, went well uh, in God's name. Uh, we're going to be in Philemon today. Okay? We're going to be in Philemon. We're going to be in the whole uh, the book. We're going to understand it all in 30 minutes. Okay, no, no, it's, uh, it's, it's, it seems short, it seems this, but it's, it's very, very uh, powerful, and I'm excited to go through it. Uh, a couple things to be thinking about as we go through reading this. Um, uh, the first one is forgiven, forgiver, what does that look like? What does that look like in our lives? Another thing is, is uh, how do we look, and how do we get away from sin? Like, we'll see that in Onesimus a little bit here as well. But we're going to just jump right into verse 1. It says this, Paul all prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also, Alphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, a little context here. Paul is in Rome right now, okay? Paul is under house arrest. He's under lock and key. He is in Rome writing this letter. Now he's, he's writing it to a man called Philemon, okay? That's where we get the, the title. Now, here's the cool thing. It's not just a man, Philemon. This is a brother. This is a brother in Christ. This is a friend that he's writing to. I know most of you have a friend that you're writing to and a brother in Christ. Now, most people believe Philemon lived in Colossus, which, we, which is really interesting. I love reading the scripture in more of a chronological order, is that we look back. We just the Colossus letter. Colossians were just what we talked about. So, most people believe Philemon was, was there at this time. Now, also, Many believe that Apia and, uh, and uh, 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 that he uh, that she is the wife. Okay, some have different beliefs, but many people believe that uh, Apia is the wife of Philemon. And then Archippus would be the son. Now, some of what we talked about in Sunday school, these are all hypotheticals. It could be, you know, a mother-in-law, it could be son, or like a, a, a son-in-law, a brother-in-law, it could be whatever. But, you know, this is, uh, most of my readings, I will say that, uh, that uh, even though through speculation, that it's probably the wife, it's probably the son. But the real reason that I like that they're called out is you're going to see there's a situation going on that needs to be fixed. If you've read, you know what's going to be coming. But if you haven't, there's going to be a situation between Philemon and another person. How many times in your life have you had a situation that there's been conflict in something, but it just doesn't hurt you too, it hurts other people around you? 
It's not just always a one-on-one. When you get into arguments, when you get into maybe sin or there's something that there's conflict, there's always collateral damage, right? If someone says something hurtful about me, which none of you have, you're all been loving and kind. But if someone says something, how is, do you not think that my wife is going to feel that as well? Do you not think my kids, just as if something were to happen to you? So I like this process of being like, this is it's as impacted a situation. It's as impacted that, that all these people are being affected. This is a letter directed to one man and his family. But I always think about, too, is, and we talked about this uh, in Sunday school a little bit, too, I wonder how many more letters Paul wrote individually. I've always wondered, oh, that would be so cool if you could see more of those. What did he write? How did he write? Because this is a very personal. Let's, let's continue uh, to process this. The uh, Western culture is a lot more one-on-one. And uh, the, the Jewish culture was much more, hey, this is a house family church. The reason why I'm saying this right here is he's writing to a leader of a house church. Okay? The church meets at a home. Okay? So it's meeting at a home. It was probably part of a bigger church, the different parts. But they did not have buildings like this. They didn't. This was not part of the culture. They met in homes. They gathered. That's where they ate, and they talked, and they discussed, and they praised, and they prayed. And they did that, and that's how they continued to digest the word of God together. So Paul is writing this letter. He's writing it to not just an individual. He's writing it to the individual, but also his family's affected, and the church is affected. Because how Philemon interacts with this will affect it all. Let's continue in verse 4. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us and the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Paul talks about praying for Philemon. What a great example for that is Paul. This, this letter humanizes Paul because it's an individual letter about his prayer. I remember I talked about down there how he was, even in such ways, how he was challenged. Like Paul's praying these prayers for people he has met and all the people he has met. He might not be long prayers, 20 minutes, but he's, he's remembering and calling them out to God. What a beautiful sight to see for Paul here. And he also misses, Paul misses his brother and the hospitality that has been shown him. Even though Paul is in prison and Philemon is not, I love how Paul says that they are connected because of the partnership of Christ, their believing loyalty in Jesus Christ. We share every good thing for the sake of Christ. They are in two totally different situations. Paul is in prison, Philemon is not, but they share in the glory and the awesomeness of Jesus Christ. Paul is also doing something very wise here. He's laying up the foundation of his true thoughts of his friends because he's also going to lay and ask, lay up, ask for a favor of Philemon. He's going to present something, but he's doing this out of love for Philemon, and he wants to have Philemon, help Philemon in this process. Verse 8, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and me. A little bit of backstory now. Philemon had a slave by the name of Onesimus. Most of us know this. And we don't know all the details, but many people believe that he had Onesimus wasn't just a slave, but he also stole and robbed from him and then left. And here's the thing, too, is that Onesimus ended up in Rome. Okay? So he ends up in Rome. Many people ended up in Rome because it was such a big city. It was easier to hide. Isn't it like us to run and hide from our sin? Just like Adam and Eve ran and hide, the truth always finds you. At some point, Onesimus found Paul. And then, after he found Paul, he had found Christ. And he now is a believer in Jesus. Now, as you see this, Onesimus couldn't stay with Paul, even though it might be best for him to stay with Paul. It might be best for him, but Onesimus has to make things right. Paul went to Onesimus to stay with him and to probably grow his wife, but Onesimus still was a slave to Philemon. So at this point, you have to 
have to look at the letter. I always try to imagine what is happening when Philemon gets the letter. Okay. There could be a couple things happening. What is if Onesimus is one of the guys that hands him the letter? Like Onesimus is one of the guys that's king because Paul sent him back. And all of a sudden he sees, he's like, this is my slave that robbed me and ran from me. This is not good. And then he hands him the letter from Paul, his friend. And then he reads it. And then he's processing this. What would that look like? What is if Philemon knew that Onesimus was coming before the letter? I got it before the letter. I knew Onesimus was coming. And you process this. What would the feelings be that someone had done something against you? Against not just you, but your family. It's an interesting part of the process. Because Paul, in this letter, is trying to lay out for Philemon in a way, a way for Philemon to make the decision. But Paul lays it out in such a way that he doesn't tell him what to do. This is, uh, I had a great time talking about this because at the end of verse 8 to verse 9, it says, Although in Christ I could be bold in order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Although in Christ I could be bold in order you to do what you ought to do. What a boss move. Paul is in, in prison. Paul is literally in prison, and he's saying, I can tell you what to do, but out of love, let me show you. There's a great difference between doing things from authority and doing things out of love. Now, don't get me wrong, Paul, in different chapters, the different churches, uses his authority and saying, this is wrong, this is how we need to do it, but also, we need to do things out of love. Paul is helping guide, right now, Philemon, in the correct position. If you want to write something down, your earthly position doesn't affect your godly authority. Your earthly position doesn't affect your godly authority. Where you're put right now in your life, right now, does not affect your standing. You might have a job you don't like. You might be having some issues with your family. You might not have the health you want. You might, there could be a list or whatever. That does not change your identity in Christ. Okay? Earthly position. And that's what Paul had the authority. Paul had the seal in Christ, had been there, and had the authority of Philemon, even a free man at that point, to a prison man. In the earthly world, in the flesh world, it would not make sense. Paul's in prison. What can he do? It's a different standard when you start thinking outside of the earthly world. Verse 10. That I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and me. I love how Paul uses the word son, not slave. And since he ran away, he was useless to you. But now, because of the faith, he is useful to me and you. Onesimus' identity is now found in Christ. Just so you know, Philemon does hold a lot of cards, okay? On the earthly side. During this time frame, in Rome, there was around 50 to 70 million slaves, okay? And when they would not act accordingly, there was no issue of putting major punishment on them or killing them, okay? Because they did not want to uprise them. Why would you want to uprise them? So if you continue to put the fear in them, they're not going to uprise them. So Philemon holds cards of a man who stole from him and his family that was a slave. There's also been talk about how they would use to brand them. Runaways are fugitives with the letter F and would stick it on their heads so it would be on them so they would identify who they are as some of the punishments. So Philemon holds all these cards and he's processing what this looks like. And I also love the fact that this changes a lot of the dynamics of the community around Philemon. Okay? Because I like how Wearsby puts it. Wearsby says this. If he forgave Onesimus, what would the other masters of slaves think? If you punished him, how would it affect his testimony? That leads to the drama of the letter. Paul's trying to help Philemon in this time and process how to handle this issue and how to handle it in grace and mercy of Christ. I love how the Bible tries to do the same thing as us all the time. It shows us how to love each other. I want, I want to sit on verse 11 for a second because uh, we were talking about it in the back. But do you know what the word Onesimus means? Profitable and useful. Verse 11. Formerly, he was useless to you. 
but now he's become useful, both to you and me. He is Paul. He's saying he's become what his name means. He's now useful. He's now profitable. He was useless because he ran away. He was of no use. He was, he was done, but now he's useful, not just to me, but also to you. Verse 12 says, I am sending him. He was my very heart. Back to your heart. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in change for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced that would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother of the Lord. Paul reminds Philemon that he's in chains and would love the help that Onesimus is giving him. But he's learned Philemon to make the decision. He's also not stealing the joy of Philemon making the decision. We're going back to the authority. When you tell someone that they have to do something, they are not participants in it. They are just obeyers of it. They're just doing it. That's not what's happening. He, wants, he is saying, Philemon, I want the decision to be yours. I'm helping guide you. I'm helping show you the right one. How, how can I do that? I do that with my kids all the time. Usually they don't make the right decision. And I look at myself, bad dad mood. But you've got to take the risk. Because I can always keep telling them what to do. All the time they can never make the decision on themselves. They only look at that of me as being like, okay, dad didn't like that decision. So now I'm in trouble. Oh, he did. So now I obey. And now it's all of a sudden. I'm not actually training them to make the right decisions. I'm training them to just obey like what dad wants at this moment. And just so you know, this dad fluctuates. I'm not the holy God. I am a fallen human person. And so our emotions take over. I saw that. You were like, yeah, you are, John. I saw that. That's my soul. Um, uh, I always get in trouble uh, sometimes when I talk about uh, stuff like things with my wife. So I'm going to tread lightly. I am a gift giver and a gift receiver. That is how, like, if someone gives me something from the heart, it's something that, like, oh, there's a joy to that. There's something like, oh, you are thoughtful, you heard that, all that kind of stuff. My wife, is that's not her specialty, I'd say. Okay, she's really tried. She's really good at it. But there's a difference. There's a difference when I'm like, yes, for Christmas, I would like this, this, and this. But there's a difference when all of a sudden it's maybe a gift that she thought of that I didn't even know about. There's something that she's participating. It means a lot different than me saying, oh, I would like, uh, you know, this golf club, you know, or whatever it is. Now there's this, this part of this joy of interacting in it together. And I can tell you that God wants that interaction with you when you read the Bible. It's not, uh, so many times we look at the world, God wants this interaction with us to obey and be obedient, but also to commune with them and communicate and learn and be able to continue the process. It's a beautiful thing. Let me continue so we can get through this. So if you, in verse 17, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done any, uh, done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Paul is now willing to take the cost. He is now willing to stand side by side with Onesimus. He's willing to pay back. He's willing to take the cost. Does that remind you of anyone else? To take the cost, to be part of the process? It's so easy to say, thank you, God, to do it, to do it. And thank you, Jesus, for taking the cost for us. But then when we're called to take the cost with someone or to do something, do we do it? To be alongside to someone that's wrong, someone to slay, to stick up and try to come along this. Onesimus had run away, stolen, took money for fighting but Paul is willing to say that I'm even signing this myself. Uh, a lot of times I wonder how this happened. If someone was writing this for me, and Paul comes over and goes, I'm going to write this part myself. And then you see Paul's writing. You're saying, I, Paul, write this because this is my word. I'm going to stick by it. I'm going to stand by it. Paul had brought salvation to Philemon's door, and there is no greater love than that. And what a great example of Jesus' love for us, standing with the sinner, a criminal, breaking the true barrel of injustice, not by law, but by the love of Jesus Christ. Let's wrap up in verse 22 through 25. And one more thing, or one thing more. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphus, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you.
your spirit. Paul trusts in his friendship, his brotherhood, and Paul and Philemon will be together again. He wraps up this with a letter. Now, I know the reason why I wanted to do the whole thing is there's not many times I get to do a whole chapter or a whole book in a sermon. So I know that's an overlay, but there's four points, four quick points I want us to, to take a look at. Point number one, point number one, you can't run far enough for a sin. The truth will find you. The truth will find you at some point. Onesimus tries to run from his trouble. You can never run far enough away from your sin. Some of us have had sin that has been built up in our own lives that we still have, that we've tried to run, we've tried to hide, we've tried to get away from, and we've tried to deal with it like in a way of not dealing with it. Uh, can you play that first video? Uh, this first video, okay, this video is going to be, yes. So this is uh, an Instagram, you can turn down there at the bottom of this This is an Instagram model, and she is cleaning up the trash, okay? She's cleaning up the trash, and the one person is taking the photos and taking the video. Look at her struggle. Look at she is trying to carry this all away, and like oh, the hair. She's trying to, she says, look, this is what you need to do, and how you need to behave as a Okay? And when she's done, she leaves the trash. Okay. The reason why I, I pulled this video out is um, she got caught doing this. And there's been no response from her on that. She just keeps on going. There's been no forgiveness. There's been no repentance. There's been nothing. At all times, as someone said, you can't run far enough away. She got caught. And now she tries not to deal with it. I know it seems sort of silly that, hey, I did this. But how many times in our own lives, and I think this is a question, we tell people how to live. We do things. We're like, hey, you need to not do this. You need to not do this. And then when we get caught with our sin, we're like, uh, we have an option to do that. Deal with the sin, repent and turn, or where I think many churches have messed up is we try hiding it and not dealing with it. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, we're just, we'll just bypass it. No, then what we actually do is say, Christ is forgiveness for us. It's not enough. It's not good enough. No, all of us have sinned to fall short of the glory of God. And here's the shocker. I know sin again. I don't want to. I will pursue God. That is my pursuit. But I am telling you, I am a fallen person. And I need to be obedient to what God has and be able to, to repent. And be able to repent to maybe that person. You can't run far enough away. What are you? What have you ran away from? What haven't you dealt with? What are you hiding? And if something's popping in your mind right now and in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit telling you to deal with it. So you can be done with the sin and not have to run anymore. Because Jesus Christ is taking care of this. Number two. I'm glad we have a Christ that forgives. But I want to talk about Christian forgiveness. There are times where Christian forgiveness doesn't always make sense. Where as some people say they're sorry, they're sorry to be presentable and nice, but they don't really mean it. But all of us have been hurt in some way. We can all think of someone that has hurt us, that has undercut us, that has judged us, that has not loved us, that has said something wrong about us. We can all look back and be hurt. You want to know, when I was in college, I was extremely hurt by a church family. A church in my a church in my world really hurt, hurt us. It's really easy for me to process. For some reason, it's been really easy. I understand that Christ is different than human beings. The body of Christ. I think God, Jesus is humans are flawed. I get that. But let's not be honest in another. Let's not be dishonest and not say that that didn't hurt in that moment. Let's not say that there's been people that have said things about you or me or whatever. It hurts. But in such a way, Christian forgiveness is not that of forgiving the situation, but it's that of dealing with the situation properly and handling it. It's the sense of actually doing Matthew 18. It's the going, pulling someone alongside and saying, hey, I can't do this. Someone's hurt me. And I need to make sure this is mended and this is right. This is done right. And if it's not worth it too, then I'm going to pull some more people along. And I'm going to pull the church in because the relationships need to be right. I, uh, I, and I care about that. Uh, it's been about a few months ago. And I said, uh, Joe's going up the stairs and, uh, with Les and uh, Stephen. And I knew that if they took it away. I wanted it. was a joke. But if they didn't, it would have come across as like, hey, you know, way to show up on time or something like that. And I was like, oh, if I'm messing with you, that means like we're buddies. Or at least I want to be your friend. I don't know if you like me or not. But at least I'm attempting that friendship. But I went, I went back and tried to, I wanted to make sure it was right. Because that is what matters. The, the, the making it right. And sometimes making it right is there needs to be forgiveness. 
That leads to point number three. As Martin Luther would say, all of us are on this list. All of us have sat in that chair. We have all hurt someone. And we are condemned because of our sins. But Christ covers the cost and we are free. What an example of Christ freeing us from sin and bondage. Just as Paul stood by a sinner, Christ stands by us. You need forgiveness. Christian godly forgiveness, grace, and mercy that doesn't make sense, but from the grace of God alone. Onesimus and Philemon are now brothers. One of the awkward things that I'm telling you Philemon doesn't love dealing with, or like people, pastors don't love dealing with, is the fact of slavery. Okay? That's mentioned there. Why does the Bible, why does the Bible not deal with or handle this situation? Paul does something amazing here that really changes how you can really look at it. Because we it's even called the scripture to be a slave of Christ. But Paul says something this about humans and this, and I think it's it shows it. Paul is challenging the whole identity of status. Rich or poor, owner and slave, difficult stuff here on earth. How by saying this, how can a brother and sister in Christ be a slave? Paul is challenging the whole structure, not through the court system, but in that of the hearts of men and women everywhere. Paul is saying that the institution of slavery is brought to death in the brotherhood and sisterhood of the gospel. In America, how people used American slavery, how that was, that had to be broken down. It had to be done because we are all the images of Christ. It had to be broken down. And how can we do that if we are brothers and sisters in Christ? We must love each other. We are to live as saints. And point number four, all of us are highly As Wearsby states, the greatest test of our understanding and acceptance of God's forgiveness is whether or not we will be willing to forgive others. We all, at some point, have been wronged. Maybe not to this scale, but in some way. We might be in a position to forgive and give grace. What are we to do? What we can do in the flesh is not what we can do in the spirit. I don't know where many of you are uh, today, and I don't know where the Holy Spirit has been challenging you on this, but I think some of us have, are in the position of Onesimus, and some of us are in the position of Philemon. Some of you have been hurt, and some of you have hurt some other people. We're going to play this video of a guy, he's a 54-year-old, his name is Barry Ridgeway. Uh, he, is, he was a mass murderer, and this was a trial in 2003, and this is the response. So he was convicted of uh, 48, uh, uh, 48 when he was convicted, and each person's family member got to go up there and talk. Okay? And there's going to be different responses of how this happens. And you're going to see, basically, Gary, and then you're going to see other people's responses, and then at the end you're going to see one guy trying to talk. I'd like you guys to watch this video. to lose someone and to forgive. I'm not, I don't know how that whole situation played out, but it gives you an example. I think so many times we look at ourselves and we're like, oh, I'm good enough, I'm going to get it. But we sit in that place. We need a lawyer, and his name needs to be Jesus Christ. He represents and he forgives us. And we, because of that, we need to represent that to other people. We need to forgive. We need to forgive other people. 
maybe if we're in a position where we've wronged someone, we need to go to them and say, will you forgive me? That's a dangerous place to be too, because now you are vulnerable. You are open, and humans and people in the flesh do not like to be open and vulnerable. We want to protect ourselves. But Christ does not want for that. Because actually to be healed, we might need to be able to do that. We're going to worship through a couple songs, but I want you guys to process as you guys are singing. Where are you at with that? I want you to deal with the forgiveness of others, forgiveness of how you might too be forgiven. Let's sing.